So our series today is happiness. We're starting a new series. I think it's going to be seven or eight weeks. And today, we're going to talk about being poor in spirit. Let me ask you, though, what would it take to make you happy? If you're not happy, what would it take to make you happy? They asked 52,000 Americans this question, and I want to read some of the answers to you. They said, friends or social life? Job. Being in love. Recognition and success. Sex. Personal growth. Good financial situation. Having a house or an apartment. Being attractive and beautiful. The city I live in, my religion, recreation and exercise, being a parent. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage. <laughs> my partner's happiness, so the person they're with. Uh, hey, my kids are wonderful kids. I'm just playing. All right. Y'all know that, right? <laughs> Emma Grace is like, Dad. <laughs> All right, the, inter the interesting thing about it, these, these things is their attempts to be happy are all on the outside. They're not talking about really anything internal that needs to be where happiness, true happiness comes from in our lives, something internal. And all of these external, so the popular idea of happiness is this, that having all the right circumstances is going to make me happy. So, how many of you have ever really had all of the right circumstances come together in life? So what are your chances of ever being happy? If that's all it's about, then you're in trouble. This, this is the when and then thinking, right? When I get out of school, then I'm going to be happy. When I get a job, then I'm going to be happy. When I get married, then I'm going to be happy. When I have kids, then I'll be happy. When my kids leave, then I'll be happy. <laughs> the classic chapter in the scripture, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesi listen, I want my kids to stay. They're, they know they're welcome in my house all the time, all right? All right, now I'm just, yeah, now I'm making it awkward. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Um, this, is, this is kind of a, in fact, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, if you want to learn about true happiness, at least what it isn't, true happiness, read Ecclesiastes, the entire book. Uh, you've got this king, his name is Solomon. He's the wisest man that probably ever lived and richest probably that ever lived with the exception of Jesus himself being the wisest and most wealthy, right? Uh, but Solomon was given great wisdom by God. And, and in this chapter, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I decided to enjoy myself and find out what happiness is. He was on a search for happiness. Now listen, if you want to save yourself a lot of time from trying a bunch of things like I just listed, read this book. Go home and read the entire book. And he says, I've set out to find what was, and another version says, what was worthwhile doing while living under the sun. What is meaningful in life? And he says, what is going to bring happiness to me? And so throughout this, you hear him talk about accumulating things, 
going and getting as much stuff as he, he had all the wealth in the world. And he went out and he got anything and everything he wanted. He experienced pleasures. He's like, all right, I'm going to try everything and see if anything really makes me feel happy and meaningful. And achieving success. So all three of those things, three things encompass everything that I just talked about that people are using to try to feel happy. Even religion. Religion is not going to make you happy. Now, if you're wondering how a preacher is saying that, let me qualify it by saying this. A relationship with Jesus will make you happy. But anything besides a relationship is just going to be frustrating. You can be so religious, even in a good Bible-based Christian church, you can just be religious without Christ, and you're going to be competing with everybody else. Oh, they raise their hands this much. I'm going to raise my hands this much. It just becomes competition to see who can be the better Christian, the better religious person. These were all dead ends for happiness in Solomon's life. And we think about accumulating things that we're going to be happy. And listen, I know what it feels like when you get up and you, it's that day you get to go pick up that new car. It feels good. You feel happy at the moment. But how long does that last? Yeah, first tank of gas. If I could just win the lottery, then I'd be happy. Someone asked a guy named Howard Hughes, some of you know the name. He was one of the wealthiest people in the 20th century. They asked him this, how, does it how much does it take to make a man happy? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Isn't that how we feel sometimes, though? If I just had a little more. We experience pleasure. We search for the latest thrill. Have you noticed our community every weekend for like 60 hours from the time they get off work Friday all the way through Sunday night, it is a thrill-seeking community. Give me pleasure. Give me something that makes me happy that I can, that I can do. And Solomon says, I've tried that all. I've tried it all. I had all the wealth in the world and the wisdom to create anything that I could possibly create with the, ma the massive amount of money that I had. This guy had queens bringing treasures to him. And he says, I've tried it all. Achieving success. He said, I have it. I've had it. And look what he said about it. All of it, in Ecclesiastes 2.17, all of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, that will knock the wind out of your sails if you're trying to build a business. If you've been pursuing this, you're going to be like, where do I find happiness? And that's why we're doing this series. Matthew chapter 5, we have the opening lines of Jesus' most powerful sermon that was written and longest sermon that he preached that we know of was written down starting in Matthew chapter 5. And he opened it to teach the people how to be happy. He grabbed their attention with, I'm going to teach you how to be happy in your life. Because why? He knows that few people actually find it. And in this series, we're going to look at what's called the B attitudes. Remember when you were in, in kids' church and Sunday school? They called it the B attitudes? Excuse me. Cruise too much food on the cruise. <laughs> 
The be attitudes. What, is these, what are those? They're, this is what you should be. This is how you can be. This is what the attitude that you should have. How to be happy. This is the be attitudes. Not just principles for personal happiness, but also a prescription for mental health. That's what this is that Jesus gave us. So each of these, Jesus began with the word blessed in some translations, in most translations. The word blessed in the Old English actually can be translated to be happy or satisfied. So let's read it from the Good News Version. Jesus said, Happy are you if you are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Happy are those who, persecute, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you read those words, it's like, man, that is so contra- that's contradictory. That doesn't make sense. Happy are, happy are the poor. Happy are the, you when you're put down. Happy are you when you're persecuted. That doesn't even compute. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound like happiness to me. Jesus was saying, you and I have got to learn how to be happy in spite of these circumstances. And you can learn to be happy in spite of those circumstances. And he says you can find happiness because of these circumstances in your life. And listen, if you've got all your problems solved before you become happy, if you need to have all your problems solved before you become happy, are you ever going to be happy? Never. How many of you have a problem today? About 20 of you and the rest of you are liars. You all have problems. And your happiness is not determined by what's happening around you. I know, John, I'm keep, they keep telling me that. I, my parents always told me that. And now you're telling me today that it's all about how I think about it. Listen. Let God's Spirit begin to do a work in you today. And you'll find happiness. There are a lot of things that you don't do right and a lot of things that don't go your way. Happiness doesn't depend on those. It begins with an attitude. And Jesus said that attitude is this. First, be poor in spirit. In another version, it says to know that you're poor in spirit. Because the reality is we are poor in spirit. Whether we know it or not, we are. But happiness begins when you know that you're poor in spirit. Matthew 5, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? He's not talking about low self-esteem here. And he's not talking about putting yourself down all the time. That's not what he's looking for. You have value, you have worth, you have meaning in your life. God created you just a little below the angels, and then he lifted you up. You have great value and meaning into your life. 
through what Christ did on the cross especially. So that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being poor in spirit. What does it mean? Is he, he's, he, he's talking about humility. Humility. Admitting, I don't have it all together. And better than that, being okay with it. It doesn't mean that we don't try to have it all together. It means I don't have it all together and I'm okay with that. Why? Because God's got me. Because I have that relationship with Him. Realizing that you haven't arrived yet. Have you, do you know that? You haven't arrived yet. Realizing that you haven't learned it all, that you're not the sum total of the universe. That's a good place to start in your life to find happiness. Is to say, I'm not God. And I'm not required to be God. And some of you are dealing with issues and problems and struggles from your past that you wish that you could go back and change. You know, PTSD, that's one of the biggest problems with PTSD. If you struggle with that, most of it comes from the fact that you think you could have changed something and you didn't whenever it happened. You're not God. And your happiness can be restored when you let go of that and say, okay, if God didn't fix it, I didn't fix it. There's nothing we can do about it now, but move forward and let God begin to heal me through that process. So how does this make you happy? It seems like believing the opposite of this would make you happy. What if Jesus had said, blessed or happy are the rich in spirit? Doesn't that sound like modern preaching? Be rich in spirit, then you'll be happy. Have it all together. I've arrived. I've made it. I've got it all. I'm smart, and I'm good enough. And I'm a prince in the kingdom of God. I am. But should it come with that attitude? It should come with the attitude of, oh, God, I'm a prince. In your kingdom, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm so grateful. It's a whole different spirit, isn't it? Somebody, some of you wake up in the morning and you start singing the old song, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble <laughs> when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. And we'll stop there. <laughs> Why wouldn't that make you happy? Because you know it's not reality. You don't get better looking each day. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's social media is a reflection of, of what? The rich in spirit. The pretend. We see the good. This is my husband and me. But behind the scenes, oh. We see the rich in spirit all over Facebook and all over Instagram or whatever platform you use, we see it. But it's not the truth. Now, it'd be nice if relationships were great, and that's great. 
But to walk around and have to feel like you have to be perfect all the time, that's miserable. That is miserable. But to walk around and go, you know what? This is who I am. And I'm going to make mistakes right. I'm going to make my sin right. I'm going to do what I can to make things right along the way. But people are going to choose to love me just the way I am or not. And it's their choice. Man, there's freedom in that. And there's peace in that. And I hope you know this. It doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to love you. I hope you know that already about me. There's security in that. Now, if you choose to reject me, okay, I have to let you go. But there's security in knowing that I'm going to welcome you into my life as long as you will let it. And we need to be that for each other. And there's security in the body of Christ in that. Why? Because we all know we're poor in spirit. But when pride kicks in, that's a problem. So how does being poor in spirit make you happy? You see, telling the truth about you, accepting the truth about you, and realizing that you don't have to be perfect or even appear to be perfect is a great relief. You have sinned. I have sinned. Let's settle it. Anybody here not a sinner? Wave your hand at me. Okay, we're all in the same boat. So we're not here trying to fix each other in that way. He's not saying that you run, a, run, a, you don't run, a, that you run around putting yourself down all the time. Well, I'm lousy. I'm a sinner. I'm no good. I'm evil. I'm wicked. I'm bad. That's not what he's saying. He's saying instead, I'm a sinner, and God, thank you so much for your grace and mercy that I can walk this life in all of the in all of the ambiguities of it, and the struggles and problems, and even sometimes when I sin and I mess up my relationship with you, you're still there, and my people are still there. Your people are still there, and there's peace in that. You walk around with God. I'm forgiven, and I'm so grateful for it that I forgive those that hurt me. And there's peace and there's happiness in that. And for those who hurt me, I'm so thankful for what you've done, God. I'm going to let it go. It's called forgiveness. And God says you'll be happy if you're poor in spirit. Now, does that mean that you need to tell us all your deepest and darkest secrets? Oh, God, please no. I don't need you to come and confess to me all of your sin. Let me ask you a question. Would you like me to come and confess all of my sin to you and then have to sit here and listen to me on Sunday mornings? You wouldn't like that. We don't need that. You confess your sin to God, and you're welcome to confess your sin, but we don't need to know all the details. And when you get up and tell your story, we don't need to know all the details. So you don't have to worry about that. But what we do need is to be able to admit I'm a sinner. And treat each other like we're grateful, grateful, grateful for that forgiveness that he's given us. So the opposite of poor in spirit is obviously pride. Jesus said if you're full of arrogance and egotism, you're never going to be happy. That's what he was saying. If you're full of arrogance and egotism, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be at peace. You're always going to be trying to get better and get more, get a one-up. The Good News Translation said it this way, Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor, 
You're happy when you know that you're spiritually poor. They know that they don't have it all together. And the more that you grow in your relationship with God, the more humble you will become. The more that you'll understand you don't have it all together. And you'll be able to help others to grow in Christ. The Living Bible put it this way, happy are the humble. That's easy, isn't it? The point that Jesus is making at the very beginning of this sermon is simply this. Humble and happy go together. You don't have to have your life all together to be happy. All the circumstances don't have to be lined up. And you can relax and know that God's grace has you. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be trying. To love. Not to be perfect, but to love. And love ends up making you perfect, doesn't it? Because sin is actually love out of action. Love in action will keep us from doing sin, keep us from hurting each other in our relationships and in our lives. So that's the point. And if you want to have lasting happiness in your life, you need to learn to be humble. So let's talk real quickly about a few things that this does. Humility reduces stress. Anybody here stressed out? Humility will deal with your stress. It will help you at least, all right? When I'm humble, I realize I don't have to have all the answers. When you're humble, you realize that you don't have to have all life's answers. When you realize you're not God, you don't have all that information that God has, you can relax and just know, okay, I don't have all the answers. I don't need to be God. I can resign as general manager of the universe, and everything's going to be okay. And when you're humble, you realize that you don't have to solve all of life's problems. You don't have to. You can relax. The sun is going to rise tomorrow. And something's going to be worked out. When you're humble, you don't have to fake it through your life. And you don't have to pretend that you're perfect because God doesn't demand that you be perfect in order to be happy. He demands that you be humble. He says, this is the way it is. I don't have to play God and assume the responsibility that's not mine of life. How many of you listen? Well, you don't have to answer this question. If you listen to talk radio, this is my experience. I turned it on recently and I started listening to one of the guys and he was talking about the, you know, what's going on in the political world. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going <laughs> to blow ourselves up. This is bad. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking we're we're done for. This thing is going, this, we're done for. We're in trouble. And then he goes to a commercial, and he doesn't even play a commercial. He just begins talking through a commercial, whatever he's reading. He's like, if you want a good garage door for the next 20 years, this is the one that you need to buy. And I'm like, wait a second, I thought we were just going to blow up. We're talking about garage doors now? <laughs> Frustrating. You know, and you're sitting there, we've got to do something, we've got to fix this, we've got to fix the world, it's going to blow up, everything's going to go bad, and you're not God. You're not God. All you can do is your part today. And your part begins with loving your spouse, loving your kids, loving your church family, loving yourself, and taking care of your responsibilities in life. And you will find happiness when you let go of all the other stuff that is stressing you out that you don't have control over. Other people that you don't have control over. And relax and just be who God made you to be. You realize you don't have to play God. 
And you realize you don't have to be in the know. I'm not always demanding that people include me in on their information when I'm humble. You know, we've all got that friend that gets offended when they don't know the, you know, they're not the first one that you called. You, you had the baby and you didn't call me first. <laughs> you got a new truck and you didn't call me first. And we, you don't have to be in the know when you're humble. Information will just come to you when it needs to. And you can relax. And you don't have to be angry. Listen, humility says the less jibber-jabber I know, the better. And the less gossip I know, the better. Y'all are saying amen now, but... Humility accepts the fact that you can be happy because you're depending upon God even though things aren't the ideal. Listen, you may not have the best job, but you can be happy. You may not have the best marriage, don't say amen, (laughs) but you can be happy. It reduces stress. I'm convinced that we take ourselves way too seriously. And the reason that's a problem is because when we take ourselves too seriously, we're not taking God seriously. And he's the one we need to be taking serious. We take all of our problems too seriously instead of taking him seriously. We worship our problems instead of worshiping him. So pride gets me focused on me and on my problems and gets me off of God. When I become a humble person, when I walk in dependence upon the Lord, it reduces the stress in my life and it will reduce your stress. Secondly, real quick, humility improves my relationships. Don't you like being around humble people? How does it feel when you're around somebody with pride? You're always competing. What book are you reading? They can be controlling. Yeah. Yeah. I know the right way. I know how you should live. You're too tall, Matt. (laughs) What are you going to do about that? You know, I mean, they just know everything. And humility says, I don't have to know everything. You know, as a pastor, one of the, I mean, people try to size me up so often. It's funny. And I've come to the place where I realize the only thing that God said I need to be really good at is knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all I really need to be good at. at. Don't you wish you had my job? (laughs) All this other stuff, it's tough. But if I got that one thing right, I'm doing my job. I'm able to tell people and help people to find Christ and feed his sheep and teach them how to feed other sheep, equipping you. So humility improves my relationships. It doesn't mean you think less of yourself, you just think more about others. When you become interested in others, you become interesting to others. 
When you're interested in other people's lives, you become interesting. Neat how that works, isn't it? So you just naturally are going to have better relationships. You don't have to be right all the time. Don't you hate someone that has to be right all the time? Ugh. And listen, you're going to catch me doing that sometimes. And hopefully I'm going to make it right with you. But that's where grace and mercy with each other works. We're going to fail each other at this at times, aren't we? And when I'm poor in spirit, which means I don't have to fake it, I don't have to pretend that I'm perfect or pretend that I'm successful, it reduces my stress. Early in ministry, I would lay in bed at night, Angela would be asleep, and I would be laying there feeling this pressure, this immense pressure, and this may not mean anything to you, but it was to me. I felt like I had to be absolutely perfect in my life. I didn't have blades of grass in my car. It was so clean. Everything was clean, pristine, as much as it could be. And I like it, you know, I like things that way. But it was, a, it was, a, it was an issue of presentation, trying to look perfect. And listen, here's the truth. I knew I wasn't. And I'd lay there in bed at night, and I would be crying. I know that sounds pitiful to tell you. <laughs> I would have tears coming out of my eyes, not tears of woe is me, but tears of stress, anxiety, and I know that it was damaging my relationships. And I had to get come to the place where I realized that's not the way God wants me to live. God doesn't want me to live with that kind of pressure. He doesn't, he'd rather me be imperfect and loving than trying to live perfect and being a snob and being angry and hurt and bitter. Don't you want the kind of church where the people go, yeah, we're not perfect, but we're loved by God and we're going to do whatever we can. Now, I hate those bumper stickers that say, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven or whatever because those people drive like they're, they're forgiven and <laughs> <laughs> it's a problem. Drive like you got to make things right if you mess it up. And that's how we live in our lives, in our church. Amen? Third, real quickly. Humility releases God's power. James David, would you come? How many of you want God's power in your life? James 4, 6, God gives strength to the humble but he sets himself against the proud. Now, if you dig into the word sets himself against, it literally gives you the picture of a horse digging its heels in against and trying to back away and say, no, I'm not going that direction. God sets himself against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives strength and grace to those who are saying, yeah, I'm not perfect. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to live my life the best that I can in honor of what he's done for me. I'm going to make things right where I can. I'm going to go back and fix things that I messed up. I'm going to go pay somebody back what I did that was wrong. I'm going to take care of my spouse better. 
Whatever it is that you need to go back and fix, yeah, if, you've, if you're guilty, there's a reason for that. You know why? Because you're guilty. If you're feeling guilt, there's guilt there. Go back and fix it. It's not rocket science. Go back and talk to them. Go pay them back. Whatever it is that you need to do. Set yourself free. Every miracle God performs begins with somebody saying, I'm blind, I'm deaf, I'm, I'm struggling. Whatever it is that God performs in a miracle. Did you know that the deaf community, if you know anything about the deaf community, you'll, you'll agree with me on this. The deaf community has taken on an attitude of pride in the last few decades. That they say, this is the way God made us, and it's wrong to pray, even, for God to heal us. We're deaf, and it's a prideful deaf thing. There's what's called the cochlear implant that is absolutely a miracle. The doctors don't even know how it works. And for a deaf person to get the cochlear implant means that you're now shunned from the deaf community because you did something that could take your deafness away. And in so many ways, that's how we, we deal with our problems and struggles in life. We're just like, okay, well, I'm just going to be proud that I've got it. No, it takes humility to say, God, I've got this problem in my life. God, I need healing. God, I want you to touch my life and I want you to deliver me, bring healing into me. But it takes, it takes a step of faith as well because you see, every time that God got involved in bringing power into somebody's life to heal them and help them, he also gave them specific direction. When Jesus healed people, he would do things like put mud on their eyes and say, now go wash. And they had to go wash it off. Or one time he, he, there was a crippled man and he said, all right, take your bed, get up and walk. And he had to take his bed and he got up and walked and he was healed. There were the 10 men with leprosy and he said, now go show yourself to the priest. Go do that. And as they were on their way to the priest, what happened? Boom, God's power in their life. They had to admit, this is what's wrong in my life and I need your direction. And I'm telling you, if you need happiness, God is saying, this is the way. And if you will humble yourself and say, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to be humble and walk the faith walk that you've, you've required here for me to have happiness in my life. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe in that. You see, God is always offering pathways to deliverances in your life. Why is it any difference with happiness? Jesus said, happy are those who are humble. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. You ever been to a church and people walk around? You're a sinner. That one unhappy dude. God calls us you to be free of that. It calls you into a world of peace. Grace. Matthew chapter 5. Happy are those who know their need of God. This is the Phillips translation. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
Do you believe that? John 13, 17. Now that you know the truth, how happy you will be if you put it into practice. Do what Jesus said. It'll change your life. So in these next few weeks, would you come expecting that God is going to just teach you a path to happiness? And if you'll walk that path, this is God talking, not me. If you will walk that path, you will find happiness in your life unlike you've ever had. Can I pray for you? <clears throat> Maybe you're here today you don't even have a relationship with God. And that's the invitation. We're not inviting you to some religion. We're inviting you to a true relationship with God. And what does that look like? It looks like you getting to know who He is, what He likes and what He doesn't like, and accommodating for Him to live inside of you. He wants to come and set up residence in you. And he says, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can walk away from me. That's your business. But if you want me, I will be with you. And I will take you to a place that is so beautiful and un unimaginable when you die. You get to be with me forever. It's salvation. Do you accept him? Do you want to get to know him? Talk to him right now. God, I want to get to know who you are, what you like and don't like, the things that matter to you. I want those things to matter to me. And I want to accommodate for you living inside of me for the rest of my life. In fact, from this day on, it's not my life. I give it to you. I give my life to you. And I want you to begin to take over. And I thank you for being my God from this day on. I welcome you into my heart and life. Help me as I grow in knowing you. Tutor me. Teach me. And thank you for your grace and patience along the way. Maybe today you're struggling because you've been using some of these things to try to make yourself happy. It's time for you to just say, you know what, God? This, these things aren't working. In fact, they're just making me more miserable. So today, God, I decide I'm going to get on the path choosing to follow your way, your will, your way. And I ask you, O oh God, give me your wisdom and guidance. And I thank you for the invitation, your will, your way in my life from this day forward. Thank you. In Jesus' name.